How many of us have ever run a stop sign? Anybody ever do that before? Rolling stop sign? Okay, good. Glad we're willing to confess that reality. Uh, in my six years here uh, in Amarillo, I have actually uh, run two stoplights. Uh, I know this because I got a picture uh, sent to me of me <laughs> running. Anybody else get that photo before? It's kind of a nice back shot of your license plate. I grew up, you know, I, I grew up in Midland, and I was told to drive conservatively, but then I moved to San Antonio for college, Dallas for work after that, and then I lived in Houston. That made me a very aggressive driver. I would blame Houston on the reason I'm an aggressive driver, because I learned living in Houston that you have three seconds while it's yellow before it turns red. And so usually I'm able to make it before it turns red, but sometimes I don't quite make it, and I get the photo taken, and I have to pay a fine. In my 26 years of driving, I have gotten four speeding tickets. One of those tickets was actually on the way to Rio Dosa, New Mexico for the men's retreat. I was trying to get the speaker, Peter Barnes, there on time. And I was just trying to do the Lord's work. <laughs> and yet I got a speeding ticket because uh, all of a sudden it went from 65 to 45 in the middle of some small town. I got a speed trap and I did get a ticket. And I had to pay a fine. And uh, in the past, I normally do uh, defensive driving or something else. I have never worried, though, in the midst of a traffic violation about going to, to prison. But the film we just watched, Mario, uh, who was a student at Stephen F. Austin here in Texas, is stopped for running a stop sign. And because he doesn't have a driver's license, it's determined and it's discovered that he's undocumented. He had to spend 14 days in prison. Mario is one of over 11 million undocumented immigrants living in this country today. Some people say that illegal immigrants are driving up the crime rate in this country. But in 2013, I, I found out that in 2013, there were only eight murder cases involving an illegal immigrant. There's 11 million undocumented immigrants, and yet there were only eight murder cases involving an illegal immigrant. Most undocumented immigrants want to stay in this country, and so they work very hard not to break the law so that they would not be arrested, because they know if they're ever stopped by the police, there's a good chance they'll be deported back to their homeland, and they want to be here to help their families. And the truth is, there's been a lot of deportations lately. President Barack Obama actually holds the record for the most deportations of any president in the United States during his uh, terms of office these last seven and a half years. He has uh, deported over two million. He's, his presidency, there have been over two million deportations. And yet there are still over 11 million undocumented immigrants in our country. I uh, watched a I read a Wall Street Journal article that said that the estimated cost of deporting all 11 million undocumented immigrants, the cost of that, Wall Street Journal, pretty conservative uh, paper, said that it would cost 400 to $600 billion and it would take over 20 years to do so. For it would be a three-step process. First, you'd have to find them. Then you'd have to process them through some type of legal process. And then you would have to pay either the plane ticket or the bus ride to get them back to their homeland. Yet the reality is, even if you sent them back, often they come back. I watched a video of a woman who had just been deported back to Mexico, and she was explaining it was her third time to be deported. But she had every intention of making her way back to the United States because her children live in the United States. They are U.S. citizens. According to the 14th Amendment of our Constitution, if you're born in this country, you are an American citizen. And can you imagine as a mother or as a grandmother not being able to go back to be with your children and your grandchildren? I don't know about you, but I thank God 
I thank God that I was born in the, what I believe to be the greatest country the world has ever known. I thank God that I am a, a U.S. citizen. I didn't choose where I was going to be born, and yet by God's grace, he allowed me to be born here in the United States where we can worship God freely, not worrying about being persecuted or, or being shot and killed as, as so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are worried about in places like North Korea and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iran. I didn't choose to be here, but by God's grace, he allowed me to be born here. And by God's grace, we have a country where we have religious freedoms and we have the right to, to elect godly men and women like our own Four Price to serve as our, as our leaders or Mac Thornberry. Both of these men are, are faithful followers of Christ and they are members of this congregation that we have elected to office so they might be a voice for us in the State House or in the U.S. Capitol. Now, if you want to know our country's history, you, you know that we're a nation of immigrants, aren't we? Many of our ancestors... Uh, traveled many miles in harsh conditions to create a new life for their families in this beautiful country called America. I was actually talking to Orlando Lopez earlier. He is actually a fourth or fifth generation Texan. Uh, his family originally lived here when Texas was under was a part of Mexico. And he tells a story. He said, you know, they, they, they went to bed one, one day and, and, and they were Mexicans. And then they went to bed the very next day and they were Texans. And yet they didn't move. Uh, they didn't do anything. They just woke up. And, and then a few years later, they woke up again the next day, and they were Americans. It was amazing. This state, this land has been through many hands, has it not? I imagine there's, for all of our ancestors, there was something that was pushing them out and pulling them here. Maybe they were facing some type of famine or some type of economic crisis. Or maybe they were facing some type of persecution in their homeland, and they knew they needed to get out. And so they were pulled here to the United States, a a nation of opportunities, a nation of immigrants. Through an act of courage and faith, they came to a new land to start a new life for themselves. And this entrepreneurial spirit that that our earliest ancestors have, I believe, still runs through the fabric of our country today. I think it's one of the things that makes our country great is there was an entrepreneurial spirit that even started America And it continues to run. Did you know that two out of three new jobs that are created in our country today are started by small businesses? And our president has been quoted as saying, small businesses are the backbone of our economy and the cornerstone of our communities. Two out of three new jobs that are created in this country are created by small businesses. And did you know that one out of six small businesses in our country today are owned by immigrants? Just think about it. Let's say you're an undocumented immigrant from Mexico and you've come to the United States and you're here and no one's going to hire you because you're undocumented. So what do you do? You start your own lawn care service or maybe you start your own house cleaning service or, or maybe you start your own tree service and it begins to grow and flourish and so then you have to hire some employees. There are 4.7 million people who work for these small businesses owned by immigrants. And if our country tried to deport every one of the undocumented immigrants in our country today, it would be devastating to our economy. It would cost over $400 billion. It would cost even more to keep them out than we're currently spending. And the state of Texas would lose 9%, over 9% of its workforce today. Several economists project that the annual gross domestic product of this country, if we were to deport all the immigrants, just say we could do it somehow in one year, what would happen? the GDP of this country would go down 5.7% immediately and we'd find ourselves in a recession. Nobody wants that. You see, undocumented immigrants, when they come here to this country, 
they buy things. They buy clothes, they buy food, they pay rent, they buy cars. They drive up consumer spending. As you increase consumer spending, investment spending goes up, and that helps to drive the gross domestic product of this country. Yes, many undocumented immigrants even pay into Social Security, I discovered. They use fake Social Security numbers, and so their employers don't know that they're undocumented, and they, they will, as, as we all do in our paychecks, you know, segment of it goes to Social Security. And economists have said that $15 billion is paid to Social Security by undocumented immigrants. And those undocumented immigrants will never receive a dime of that money that they're paying into Social Security today. Most economists agree that over the long term, immigrants are very good for our economy. They help drive consumer spending and investment spending. They actually help make our labor market more efficient. Here's a quick example. Um, Let's take a construction site, for example. You're on a construction site, and and typically economists have found that immigrants with limited education perform many support tasks uh, for the construction site. Moving heavy things, cleaning up, uh, sweeping, painting, pouring cement. While American citizens with more education and more training, like the electrician or the carpenter, do more difficult tasks. And if the undocumented immigrant wasn't there, then they, you'd have to have the carpenter or the electrician doing the cleanup and the sweeping. And that would cost a whole lot. And the job would be much more expensive. And so it helps bring an economy of scale by, by helping uh, those who are less skilled uh, do the work that, that is needed still on a work site. Is over the long term, every economist that I read agrees that immigrants are good for the U.S. economy. But in the short term, in the short term, it can be a burden. In the short term, it can be a burden to our economy, specifically to our schools and to our hospitals. Did you know that Eastridge Elementary in Northeast Amarillo has 20 different languages spoken in just one elementary school? 20 different languages. Over 250 of its children are refugees, and 430 of the children at Eastridge speak English as a second language. Amarillo has the highest rate number of refugees per capita in the state of Texas. And many of our representatives have had to speak to the U.S. State Department to slow down the continual sending of so many refugees to Amarillo. Refugees and immigrants are flooding our schools and our emergency rooms. So what should we do? How should a Christian respond to our nation's immigrant immigration crisis. Now, just real quick, you need to know, I didn't pick this topic, you did, okay? If you remember on Easter, we said, what would you like to know what the Bible has to say about? And this was one of the most popular topics, and so that's why we're talking about it today. This is not what I want to preach, okay? Just real clear on that. (laughs) But because you voted for it, and this is a democracy, uh, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 Verses 33 to 34. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired people to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. As our nation faces a a big challenge with immigration and the flooding of immigrants to this country and refugees, Lord, we need wisdom. We need discernment on how you want us to respond. So, Lord, we come to your word now, seeking your wisdom, seeking your direction. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 to 34. Listen to the word of the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Here is the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to read that same passage from Eugene Peterson's faithful uh, paraphrase of the Bible, his faithful translation, uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 19, 33 to 34. It's in a little more contemporary English. When a foreigner lives with you in your land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. Love him like one of your own. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am God your God. It's real clear from Leviticus and from the words of Jesus that we read in Luke 6 just a moment ago that when it comes to how are we to treat immigrants, we're to treat them, we're to love them as we love ourselves. We're, we're called to live out the golden rule, to treat them the way we would want to be treated if we were them. In fact, Leviticus helps us see that one way that we can make sure we treat immigrants well is if we'll take time to remember, remember, how God has delivered us. He writes, remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus, of course, is after the Exodus. Moses uh, is uh, credited for writing these words uh, historically. And so the people of Israel have come and they're getting ready to, to begin a new life as the people of God and they've been delivered from the evil hand of Pharaoh. They have been delivered from this horrible situation and now they're called to be the people of God, living and worshiping as the people of God. Now, what's interesting, if you look at Leviticus as one whole book, you'll see that it actually begins with a lot of rules and regulations about worship and, and offerings and peace offerings. And, and then you have in Leviticus chapter 16, the day of atonement, where the priest, the high priest, would go into the holiest of holies of the tabernacle and he would offer this sacrifice for the sins of the people. And Leviticus, with its structure of beginning about worship, It's very instructive to our own lives, is it not? It begins with worship, and so our own lives should begin with worship. In fact, if you think about Adam and Eve, and when they were first created, we were told that the humanity was created on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, the very next day, their first day, their first 24, hour day, was a day of rest. It was the Sabbath. And so our lives should begin with a sense of worship, of awe of God's creation, gratitude for what God has done for us. And of course, we no longer have to make those sacrifices in worship because of we have Jesus. And he was the perfect sacrifice. As John the Baptist, his cousin, said when he saw Jesus coming, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins, for he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. And in that obedience, he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice without blemish to pay the price for our sins so that we wouldn't have to suffer, so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all through his sacrifice. 
And then on the third day, he, he conquered sin and death on our behalf when he, when he rose again. And now we can have new life if we simply believe in him. We can have the assurance of eternal life. Yes, remember. Remember, God says. Remember how, how I delivered you from Egypt. Remember how I have delivered you in the past. I love the way that John, the apostle, later writes about Christ's sacrifice. In 1 John 4, 10 to 11, we read, And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is God's love for us that ultimately leads us to worship God, to give thanks to God for all that he has done for us. And then in Leviticus, there's a transition that takes place from focusing on the worship of God to how we treat one another. And this follows the model of the Ten Commandments, does it not? For the first four commandments and the Ten Commandments are about our relationship to God. The first four commandments and the Ten Commandments help us see how we're supposed to live our lives with God. We should have no other gods. We should not make any idols. We, We should not use the Lord's name in vain. We should honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then the remaining six talk about the way we should treat one another. We should honor our mother and father. We should not steal. We should not commit adultery. We should not bear false witness. We should not covet. Our lives must begin with this this vertical relationship with God. And that informs all of our horizontal relationships with each other. And so in Leviticus 19, we get to the the second most important commandment according to Jesus where we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, the first most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If we hope to love our neighbor well, we've got to first begin by loving God and remembering what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And as we remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it becomes much easier to love our neighbor. But how can we love our neighbor when they begin to encroach in our space? How can we love our neighbor when they begin to burden our school systems? How can we love our neighbor when they begin to to burden our hospitals by filling our emergency rooms? How can we love our neighbor when they begin to burden the resources of our community? What is it that God tells us? But to remember. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. Remember how God has graciously delivered us. As those of us who have been saved by grace, God's unmerited favor through his son, our savior, Jesus Christ, we should seek to be instruments of grace, sharing God's love with others, even when they become a burden to our educational and our medical systems, even when they become a burden to our community. We remember how much God has delivered us and loved us in Jesus Christ, and we seek to share that love with others. After spending over 12 hours reading every article I could read this week on our country's immigration crisis, it's clear that everyone, Republican and Democrat alike, agrees that what we have now is not working. Our system does not work. We have a whole lot of undocumented immigrants. That is not desirable. It was also clear that very few people thought that it would be a good idea 
to actually deport every undocumented immigrant. There was a a survey done by the Pew Research Center, and only 17% of Americans think it's a good idea to deport every undocumented immigrant. There's over 11 million of them. It would cost 400 to 600 billion dollars. We simply cannot afford to do that kind of deportation. It would hurt our economy tremendously. There's no easy solution. And I'm not here to give a political solution. I'm not a politician. You can talk to Ford Price later if you want a political solution. (laughs) I do know that the word of God directs us from Genesis to Jesus that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to treat them the way we would want to be treated. But in order to do that well, we're going to have to do a little bit of research, aren't we? We're going to have to do a little bit of research and discover why is it that so many Mexicans, for instance, over, close to 50% of the undocumented immigrants are from Mexico. Why are so many of them making their move here to this country? I actually lived in Mexico uh, the summer of 1994, uh, uh, and uh, I got an ex- opportunity to experience their culture firsthand. I, I came to appreciate much of what their culture had to bring, but I also got to see a lot of the inefficiencies. And unfortunately, too, those inefficiencies have also led to a lot of corruption. And there's a lot of drug violence there. And a lot of families are leaving Mexico to to escape from the drug violence they have in their own communities that the government is not able to contain and control. If you were them, wouldn't you do the same? Wouldn't you want to protect your family and your children? In order for us to love our neighbor well, we're really going to have to do some research. We're going to have to do some research on on why so many Syrian refugees are leaving. We have to realize that what they're doing is what many of us would want to do. They're leaving because their families are being attacked by radical Muslims, by ISIS. I'll be talking about that in about four weeks because you voted for it. So, (laughs) As I was doing all this research, I came across an evangelist who, who made an excellent point that I hope we will capture and take with us from the service today. The Great Commission... Go and make disciples of all nations. The final words of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. The final charge that Jesus gives to us, which is pretty important, your last words. Go and make disciples of all nations. Just got a lot easier. Because the nations are coming to Amarillo. We don't have to go there. They're coming here. And if you just think about it for a moment, all the folks who have come from the Kurds, the Yemenis, the Somalis, the Iranians, the Syrians... We're previously living in countries where you couldn't openly preach the gospel. If you tried to openly preach the gospel in Syria, you would be shot. If you tried to do it in Yemen, you'd be arrested. But now they're coming to the United States where we can share with them the good news of Jesus through both our words and our deeds. Yes, Christian evangelism to Muslims just got a lot easier because now they're coming here. We can point them to the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus Christ alone brings. As I look at the New Testament, I can't see anything more important for the people of God than to love God, love our neighbor, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's while the immigrants are here, and they're going to probably be here for a while, we need to do all that we can to love them with the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. As Teddy Roosevelt, one of our great presidents, once said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. As we love them through both good deeds and acts of service, by accepting them and treating them the way we'd want to be treated, by living out the golden rule that Jesus gives us in Luke 6 and he also gives it to us in Matthew 7. He repeats it. It's real important. The golden rule. Treat others the way you'd want to be treated. As we do that, then we win a hearing for the gospel of grace, for the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So how can we love these immigrants, these undocumented and even refugees that have come to this country, to have come to our city of Amarillo? How can we love them specifically? One of the many ways that our church is trying to love them is, is the ESL program that we have here in our parlor on Tuesday nights. Uh, during the school year, it's actually at Paladura High School, but we have uh, faithful volunteers like Ann Scamahorn and, and Will is helping lead that charge to help teach English to these immigrants so they might function better in this society. One of the other ways we're trying to help alleviate uh, the medical problem is, is through our own Dr. Alan Keister with the Heal the City, uh, a Monday night free medical clinic for, for those who don't have insurance so they don't flood the ER rooms with, with problems that can be taken care of much easier if they're caught earlier. Finally, one of the things I'm most excited that our church is involved with now is, is our own Orlando Lopez is going to help lead a new chapter of Young Life at Caprock High School. Where, where Spanish is, is one of the languages primarily spoken. I mean, you've got English, but Spanish, a lot of Spanish-speaking students there. This is an opportunity for us to, to minister to them through, through the great parachurch organization of Young Life, their own Orlando Lopez, to minister to the fastest-growing demographic in our city, which is young Hispanics. What is the Christian response to immigration crisis? I believe it's the golden rule. Treat them the way you would want to be treated if you were them. And the best we can find out what it's like to be them is to talk to them, to hear their story, to be that listening ear, to pray for them, and then to direct them to ESL if that's a need, a language need, to, to direct them to the heal the city if they have a medical need, or direct them here to the church to let them know that here they will be loved because we have experienced the love of Christ firsthand and we want to share that love with them today. You know, when I listen to many politicians talk about the immigration crisis at the national level, national level, I often hear more negative focus, the effects, the negative focus of illegal immigration on our country. They emphasize the challenges to our schools and hospitals that are, that are quite real. I don't want to deny that. But I don't hear them tell the story of Larissa Martinez, the valedictorian of McKinney Boyd High School in McKinney, Texas. Larissa was actually so successful in school and the SAT that she was awarded a full ride to Yale University. And in Larissa's valedictorian speech, she bravely shared her powerful story and a message about immigration that we all need to hear. Let's watch that now. Many of you see me standing up here and assume that, that my life must be pretty great. My parents must be very proud. Nevertheless, I think it's important to note that those are only half-truths. Those are the expectations. My reality has been quite different. On July 11th, it will be exactly six years since I moved to McKinney from Mexico City where I was born and raised. When people see me standing up here, they see a girl who's yield-bound and who seems to have her life figured out. But that, that is far from the whole truth. So at this time, if I may, I'd like to convey my fair share of realities. Unexpected reality number one. At the age of 11, I was nothing more than the girl with an abusive and alcoholic father who had to depend on her mother's strength, a girl whose only dream was to someday become an American, a naive girl who thought that moving countries would solve all of the problems in her life. Unexpected reality number two. At the age of 12, I was faced with the, ha the task of having to embrace and fit into a new culture. Oftentimes, my intelligence was questioned due to my background. I was also faced with the task of giving up a part of my childhood to help raise my little sister, Andrea, 
while my mom worked from morning until late at night. School became my safe heaven because despite not having internet, a washing machine, or even my own bed, I always had knowledge at my fingertips thanks to the library at my school. And not only that, but I also realized that that might be the only way I might be able to help my family. Although we do not all share, although we do not all share the same struggles and we haven't gone through the same hurdles throughout life, we do share some of the same sentiments. I know what it's like to be put down, to have your accomplishments and acknowledged, to feel powerless. So at this time, I would like to commend each and every single one of you here for persevering through your own challenges, for being the resilient human beings you have proven to be, and for not letting any obstacles stop you from getting here today. We all have struggles, struggles we want to face on our own behind closed doors because we know that if people were to discover them, we would be at our most vulnerable state and never looked at the same way. Well, after all of these years, I have finally mustered up the courage to stand before you and share a struggle I've had to deal with each and every day. Unexpected reality number three. I am one of the 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the shadows of the United States. I decided to stand before you today and reveal these unexpected realities because this might be my only chance to convey the truth to all of you that undocumented immigrants are people too. I was... Undocumented immigrants are people too. From Genesis chapter 1, where we learn that everyone has been created in the very image of God to the cross of Jesus Christ, who paid the price for the sins of the Jew and the Gentile alike. We know that, that undocumented immigrants are people too. We were called to treat one another the way we would want to be treated if we were them. If you had escaped Mexico to, and brought your family to the United States in order to, to avoid the gang violence in your community, or if you were a, a Syrian refugee who, who had left Syria and come to the United States to, to avoid the, 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 the murder of, of ISIS and the killing of ISIS, and you were here in the United States, how would you want the citizens of this country to treat you? I imagine with love and respect, right? As God tells us in Leviticus chapter 19, 33 to 34, when a foreigner lives with you in your land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. Love him like one of your own. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt and God delivered us. I am God, your God. May we love the immigrant and the refugee with the same unconditional love of Jesus that we have experienced so that our God might become their God. Please join him as we pray. Gracious, gracious and loving God, you have been so good to us. And today, really tomorrow, we celebrate this country, home of the free because of the brave, brave men and women who have fought for this country so that we might have religious freedom here in the United States where we can worship you together and we, we can share the good news of Jesus Christ openly. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you've brought to us in this time where people, men and women from all over the globe are coming to this country. Lord, I thank you that we live in a country that people want to move to. 
And what an opportunity we have to share the good news of Jesus through both word and deed. Oh, Lord, help us to be salt and light to them. Help us to treat them the way we would want to be treated if we were them. By your Holy Spirit, help us to take advantage of every opportunity to love and to bless them, knowing that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Oh, God, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said.